So welcome back to the Procedures Podcast. I'm Mike Noonan and we're very lucky today to have with us Dion Stubb, an interventional cardiologist from the Alfred Hospital. So welcome, Dion. Nice to be here. And we're going to talk about the procedure today of temporary transvenous cardiac pacing. And as always, we're just trying to get a bit of nuance from a specialist in the field about this procedure. And I suppose for us in in a critical care environment um, where we don't have access to a cath lab, this is a procedure that we would do in a profoundly symptomatic bradycardic patient. And I just wanted to get you to maybe talk through the procedure and the indications that you might see for this procedure and where it fits into other therapies for the bradycardic patient and how you might do this procedure in, in your setting, Dion? So I think when it comes to acute resuscitation of high-grade AV block or severe bradycardia, transvenous temporary pacing wire is potentially life-saving therapy, but really needs to be treated with caution because it's associated with potential significant morbidity and mortality. And really when it comes down to acute resuscitation, I think the transvenous temporary wire is really your third-line management step. Your first step would be uh, the use of resuscitative drugs, so initially atropine, and then commonly we would use isoprenaline and establish an isoprenaline infusion, and that will actually potentially resuscitate the majority of patients with significant bradycardia. Should that fail and you have acute bradycardic uh, decompensation and a hemodynamically unstable patient, then the immediate manoeuvre would be the application of transcutaneous pacing pads and establish transcutaneous pacing that all of the new sophisticated defibrillators should be able to do. That is, again, a life-saving manoeuvre but potentially causes significant discomfort to the patient. Most patients need to be quite heavily sedated. And then uh, that essentially buys you the necessary uh, minutes where you can think about establishing transvenous temporary right ventricular pacing. Ideally, you know, from a cardiology perspective, we always, you know, 100% of the time perform this with direct fluoroscopic vision in a cardiac cath lab. That clearly is not always feasible in the setting of the emergency setting. Many emergency departments do have fluoroscopy, and so I would say if possible, and you can do the procedure under fluoroscopic vision, it's infinitely uh, more straightforward. But in the setting where you can't, then clearly you just need to crack on and insert a a safe right ventricular pacing lead. So in terms of uh, going about that, Again, setup's crucial. This can't be done, you know, in 60 seconds. And so I'd say use your uh, resuscitative drugs, use your transcutaneous pacing to buy you those, you know, 15 to 30 minutes you're going to need to establish the, the patient with right ventricular pacing. Set up appropriately, you know, super sterile technique, consider antibiotic uh, cover. In terms of the tips and tricks when you're doing this blindly, I think clearly the easiest approach is the right internal jugular access. That gives you most direct uh, and easiest route to the right ventricle. If you can't establish that, and again, using ultrasound guidance would be ideal, the next uh, best would probably be the left subclavian followed by the, the left internal jugular vein. You can then think of other venous uh, routes, right subclavian, even brachial. But once you're moving to brachial and even femoral, this becomes significantly challenging without fluoroscopic guidance to deliver the pacing wire into the right ventricle. Uh, Other crucial things are only use a balloon tip uh, pacing wire, one for floating and then two to reduce the chance of right ventricular perforation and tamponade, which are one of the catastrophic complications.
So in terms of this procedure, I think that's an interesting point because having done some of my training in the UK, certainly the more rigid II wires were used and that's something obviously that doesn't really fit into the emergent setting, but uh, that's something that you've steered away from. In yeah, your so even in the modern cath lab, there's probably been a big movement away. Every procedural is different, but I, I think most uh, proceduralists now prefer the safer, gentler, balloon-tipped pacing wires because they reduce the risk of RV perforation. And this is really just a temporary procedure until either the intrinsic rhythm recovers or the, you establish the patient on with a permanent pacemaker. In terms of the underlying rhythm of the bradycardic patient, do you think there's any patients that you would consider not taking those steps through drugs and using something like this or transcutaneous pacing as an earlier step or do you think that all symptomatic bradycardic patients are worth trialling through those those periods of, of drug therapy? Yeah, so I suppose the first thing is that to ensure that you're not treating a heart rate. There's often that people get very tempted, you know, severe bradycardia, heart rates of 20 to 30, very tempted that the patient needs definitive management. I think it's about perfusion. So is the patient adequately perfused? What's their blood pressure, mentition, etc.? And if the patient's adequately perfused with an escape rhythm, even in the 20s to 30s, they certainly don't need a temporary pacing wire and they may not even need uh, isoprenolone. But once you have issues with perfusion, no, I would say 99% of patients, you have time to trial initially drugs and uh, it's really only in the emergent settings where you have a rapidly deteriorating patient in the setting of profound bradycardia where you may instantly go to transcutaneous pacing and then quickly you know, ask to set up for transvenous pacing. But no, most patients you'll have time to trial atropine and set up isoprenolone. Excellent. In the, uh, in the case where you've set this, you've got the wire in and you're adequately pacing the patient, what sort of timeframes would you be looking at, um, obviously individuals aside, in terms of converting that to either a more permanent solution or obviously waiting for drugs, etc., to wear off? So what's the time frame that you would have patients on the ward with one of these in? Yeah, so it depends on the cause of the advanced heart block. If we think there's a drug component, then you know we'll be happy to let days go past to, to give the t you know the drugs time to wear off and look at other patient factors such as renal function and drug clearance. Uh, other instances where we may uh, wait longer with a, a temporary pacing wire is in the setting of uh, large acute myocardial infarction, in particular inferior and large right coronary artery infarctions where we know the pacing system of the heart will take a hit for a few days but will then often recover and so those patients may have a temporary pacing wire in you know for three to five days. For patients who come in often elderly patients with advanced heart block to begin with with no other clear etiology apart from just advancement in, in heart block, then we'll look at establishing them on a permanent pacemaker really as soon as possible. As I said before, these pacing wires are associated with morbidity. In particular, the risk of infection becomes high the longer you leave it in. And so, yeah, we, we'd look at ideally as short a period as it's practical to put in a permanent device. Just going back to the insertion and some nuances of that, certainly when I've put these in, in an emergency situation without II, it is quite hard to get capture. Obviously, having done this many times with under II guidance, where do these wires go? What do you foresee as little tips and tricks that you may have sort of gained through putting this in under under direct guidance? I think 
getting your approach right uh, in terms of venous access is crucial and by far and away the easiest way to blindly deliver a pacing wire is via the right internal jugular. And so I would spend extra time establishing that point of access and now most emergency departments will have ultrasound guidance and so I would really spend the extra minutes to get that access point because it makes delivery of the wire into the right ventricle blindly without fluoroscopy significantly easier. Once you move away from right IJ and left subclavian and you're looking at femoral access, well, floating up blindly can be very difficult. Even navigating tortuous femoral venous vessels, the wires will often want to go into the hepatic veins and that can be really difficult to establish yourself into the right ventricle. If you're having difficulty establishing it, you know, deflate the balloon, pull the wire back a little, probably clockwise rotation of the catheter, uh, inflate the balloon again and push forward again. The other thing we haven't talked about is Swan-Gantz pacing catheters. That's where you will float a pulmonary artery catheter. Uh, again, the only advantage is you get pressure tracing so you know when you're you know, in the right ventricle. But I think that's probably not applicable in most resus scenarios. In terms of ultrasound, it's an emerging field in uh, certainly critical care. Is that something that you find helpful to actually find positions for these wires? Yeah, so that's true. The first thing is ultrasound is very useful for safe central venous access and I think that's its first applicability. I think it's then more advanced ultrasound techniques to actually use the ultrasound as a form of transthoracic echo and try and image the right atrium and right ventricle and that's probably a significantly more advanced step that in the beginning I would probably say just look at floating it and have your balloon inflated, advance it you know, 30 centimetres, establish your pacing cables, turn the pacing on and then look at, you know, initially may, you may see atrial spikes and then once you get ventricular spikes, then you know you're into the right ventricle. And if you did have that, that capability, potentially try with some ultrasound if you've got someone there who has those skills that uh, may be useful? Definitely. Any imaging modality will significantly aid in successful positioning of the wire. Thank you very much for your time, Dion. Oh, my pleasure.